0: We have been taking a journey through the New Testament as a church this year. Um, and I hope that you've been joining us as we read through the New Testament. We've come to the book of Romans. Uh, if you are here this morning and you're not reading through the New Testament with us, we have some reading guides out in the foyer. You're, please pick one of those up and join us as we continue reading through the New Testament. But today we come to Romans chapter 12. And a few reminders uh, from what Landon said a few weeks ago. Uh, Martin Luther made the comment about this, about Romans. He said, Romans is the chief part of the New Testament, and it's the perfect gospel. John Calvin added, when anyone understands Romans, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole Scripture. And what Paul has to say to us here in the letter Uh, In his letter to the Romans, he lays out in front of us a blueprint of what God has done for his people. What God's plan was to save sinful people. And this started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, when the fall of man takes place, God was making a way. And what Paul is doing here in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is he's showing us, he's laying out before us the entire gospel, the whole gospel. But before we get into the the whole part of the text, let's check out the first five words in Romans chapter 12. It says, I appeal to you therefore. You know, you've always heard in the Bible, when you come across the word therefore, you have to see what it's there for, right? You always have to see. I mean, if I would have stood up in front of you this morning and said, so therefore, and started in with the sermon, you'd be like, nah, that sounds weird. You didn't say anything yet, so you can't start with that. And so when you start with Romans chapter 12, and it's starting with this therefore statement, it is there for a reason. It's there for a reason. And Paul wants you to look back. A lot of scholars say that he wants you to look back at chapter 11. And I would argue, and a lot of scholars would argue, that he wants you to look back all the way from Romans 1 through Romans 11. And this therefore right here at the beginning of chapter 12 kind of hinges everything that's coming before it in in the book of Romans all the way to chapter 12. And so Landon had picked this passage long before he knew that he would be gone this morning uh, to share Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And so When I went to him, he asked me to share this Sunday. I said, do you still want me to teach on Romans chapter 12? And he said, yes. So I began reading. I began checking it out. I want you to look at this picture. There's a commentator by the name of James Boyce. That middle part is four chapters. And it's on verses 1 and verse 2. So I'm just telling you, as I'm sharing with you in this little 35 to 45, however long, 55, who knows how long I'll talk today... As I share with you this morning, there is a lot in these two verses, Romans chapter twelve, verses one and two. Many of you may have that verse memorized, but there is a lot to unpack. But we're going to get started this morning, and we're going to get a very Cliff Notes version of that this morning—a very quick flyover of the first eleven chapters of Romans. It begins in Romans chapter one. If you want to flip over there, you can. In chapter 6, uh, chapter one, verses sixteen and seventeen. The theme of the book of Romans, what the book of Romans is trying to tell us all the way from the beginning, it's answering the question, how can a person be made right with God? And that's what Paul is trying to lay out before us. How can a person be made right with God? And he starts to spell out what that looks like. It begins to lay out in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11 what that looks like. If you've ever gone on a mission trip with us, if you've been a part of Emmanuel very long at all, you have heard what we're about to talk about. Because what Paul is going to lay out in the first 11 chapters of Romans is summed up like this. Number one, God is holy. Landon shared with us recently about Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verses 19-20 says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin I want you to let that sink in this morning we talked about it a few weeks ago I want us to just look at it one more time the whole world will be held accountable to God no human being will be justified in his sight you're like, Corey, that's kind of harsh. Why are you being so absolute about it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because, number two, man is sinful. Man is sinful. Romans 3.23. Therefore, there is no distinction. For most people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? No, for all have sinned. All have sinned. That includes you, that includes me, and that includes every person who's ever lived. Every person that you know, every person that you will ever meet, every person that you have known, sinners separated from God. And because of that sin, Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve punishment for that sin. We deserve not only physical death, we deserve spiritual death. And we deserve to be punished for our sins. So you're like, Corey, that's bad news. That's a terrible way to start a sermon. Let's get into the good news. Number three, Jesus is the answer. I want you to remember who Paul was before he became a follower of Jesus. He went by Saul. He hunted down Christians. He hated Christians. He wanted to put them in jail. He wanted to kill them. And he did all of those things. But something happened when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Something switched inside of him. Something changed him from the inside out. It's because he learned about the mercies of God firsthand. He had a very physical, I mean, very real and serious meeting with Jesus right there on the road to Damascus. And it changed him forever. That mercies, those mercies that are spelled out in Romans chapter 5, where it says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So through the first 11 chapters, First 11 chapters of the book of Romans, you have Paul speaking to the church, to the, Rome, to the church in Rome, to the Romans, about who they are apart from God, what God has done to make them right with him again. I remember as a young man, as a young believer, uh, an older man in the church sitting down with me and walking through what he called the Roman road. Maybe you've heard it that way. Just walk through the Roman road. Let me share the gospel with you. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. It's just God is holy. Man is sinful. Jesus is the answer. And that's what we are set before sin. Now I know there's one more blank there. And I know this is going to make some of your eyes twitch. That's okay. We're going to get back to it. I promise you we will get back to this blank. But for now we're going to skip it. Because that's going to bring us to our big idea of the passage this morning. The big idea is Paul challenges believers to be witnesses to the world by distancing themselves from this age and by renewing their minds so they will be able to do the will of God. Renewing their minds so they will be able to do the will of God. So with that said, let's read our passage this morning. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Word of God says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray this morning as we get started. God, I pray that you would help your word to make sense to us this morning. I pray that we would see the mercies of God. Uh, I pray that if we've seen it for the first time, that we would see it for the truth that it really is. If we've already accepted the truth about your mercies, I pray that you would make it new and fresh to us today. So help us to look at your word. Help it to change us from the inside out. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're looking at the question, what is the meaning of life? And you can go to all sorts of bookstores and find a lot of people's opinion on how you would answer that question. Uh, You can search high and low all over the place to find the the meaning of life. People look for all sorts of ways to fill the void in their heart uh, that a lot of times they need to fill with God. And so maybe... You're even asking the question like this, what is God's will for my life? Uh, I have great news for you this morning. We're going to answer that question. At least, you know, if you are a follower of Jesus, we're going to look at that question and how we can know what God's will is for my life. Um, But I think that is something that Christians search for even today. I remember as a youth pastor, that is one of the main questions that a lot of teenagers would come and ask you. What is God's will for my life? That's what I want to know. And so we're going to look at that today. And we're going to look at how God, we can know God's will and we can know what that is for our life. A few years back there was a movie that came out by the name of Saving Private Ryan. Now if you know me, I love military movies. I love war movies. I love, uh, I'm a history buff. I'm a war movie buff. So this movie ranks very high on my top Ten list, on my top five list, whatever you want to say, but the storyline kind of goes as follows, and I'm sorry if you've never seen this movie, there's going to be some major spoilers, spoiler alert right here for you, just to give you a heads up, but it kind of goes as follows, Uh, the Americans are invading Europe, we have D-Day invasion right at the beginning of the movie, and immediately it goes from uh, D-Day invasion to a bunch of ladies typing letters in a media room, and you're like, well, that's weird. But what happens is you see these uh, ladies writing letters to eventually, that would eventually go to loved ones. Letters saying, we are sorry to inform you that you have had a loved one pass away in, in battle. And so, not the letter that you would want to receive if you were uh, around at that time. However, this movie sets it up to where uh, we see... Uh, this mom going to receive three letters. She has four sons in war, and she's going to receive three all at once, all killed in the D-Day invasion. And so uh, they get with the higher-ups, and they decide, we need to find the fourth son, and we need to bring him home, because no mom needs to get a letter uh, for all four of her sons. We need to bring him home. Do whatever in our power. So that's what the movie is set up. There is a team of men led by Captain Miller who is played by Tom Hanks. And he goes into hostile territory to search for this remaining son to find him and to get him home safe and secure to his mom. Now these men in this unit will eventually track down Private Ryan. And Private Ryan is played by Matt Damon. And he gets the news of his brothers, and that they've been killed. And they say, "We're going to take you home. You have a ticket home. Let's go." And he says, "No, I'm not going to leave my brothers. I have a job to do. We're protecting this bridge. I'm not leaving." So, Tom Hanks is like, well, "Okay, well, just should we go? Should we stay?" So they end up staying to kind of protect Private Ryan, but also to just help in uh, maybe they. Uh, save this bridge, the Germans are coming, and after that, maybe he'll have a change of heart, and he'll go home. So the Germans show up, they give a valiant effort to defend the bridge, but uh, the odds are stacked against them, and at the end of the movie, you have Captain Miller being fatally shot, defending the bridge, uh, and defending Private Ryan. Here's a picture of that moment, and more troops show up right at the last minute. Of course, you know, you have your movie, so the good guys show up at the end, and they defend the bridge, and At the end of the movie, you have Captain Miller taking his last breaths and he speaks to Private Ryan and he pleads with him. He says this, earn this, earn this, this life that you have, the life that you have because these men gave up their life to find you, the life that you have because these men decided that you needed to go home, you need to earn this. And immediately the movie switches from a young uh, private Ryan, to an old private Ryan, standing over the graves of these men, and his wife is there with him, and he looks at his wife and he says, "Have I lived a good life? Am I a good man and it 's kind of a very powerful moment at the end of this movie and to think that everything that took place, he had committed his life fully to do everything in his power to bring honor and glory. For those men who had laid down their life so that he could have life. So that he could come back home and get married and have children and have a family and have a life. He did everything in his power. He committed his life to doing anything and everything to bring honor and glory to them. But that commitment, that's kind of what we're talking about this morning. A commitment of living a life that is worthy of the call that we've been called to. So we considered the commitment this morning. Let's look at four expressions of commitment as we look at this passage. Number one, the foundation of commitment. The foundation of commitment. He says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Paul here very clearly lays out what we are to put our faith, what we are to put our trust in, what we are to put our hope in. And that's God's mercy. And his mercy is spelled out here in the previous 11 chapters. He's laid it out for us. Chapters 1 through 11, he lays it all out and he says, Now therefore, by the mercies of God, all of these things showing God's mercies that we've read about in the first 11 chapters, therefore, that's what we're hinging on in this moment. His great mercy is given to us even while we had separated ourselves from him by our sin. He sends his son to die for us in our place, that in return we might be able to enjoy his righteousness and experience a new life. And it's nothing that we deserve, and it's nothing that we can gain on our own. You need to understand that. It's nothing that we deserve. It's only by God's mercy that, we, we, that he has made a way to us. All right, look at chapter 11, the very last verse in chapter 11. It should be right there by your passage. It says this, For from him and through him and to him all are all things. To him, to Jesus, be glory forever. Amen. And so Paul is laying this out before us. From him, through him, to him are all things. So therefore... By the mercies of God. Kent Hughes says it like this. The greater the comprehension of what God has done for us, the greater our commitment should be. The greater understanding of what you have in Jesus Christ, the greater our commitment should be to Him. You know, it makes me think of the song, The Wondrous Cross. Where at the end it says this. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. Paul is not making a suggestion here. He's not asking us to consider what Jesus has done. He's making an obligation that we know what Jesus has done. It is our obligation to consider what Jesus has done and for me and you to respond accordingly. That's what we are to do. There is no commitment in your life more important than the commitment you will make to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. It's the most important decision anyone can ever make in their entire lives. And here in this moment, I appeal to you therefore. Paul is pleading with us. He's begging us. You need to consider God's mercy that has been extended to you through Jesus Christ. So number one, the foundation of commitment. Number one, foundation. Number two, the character of commitment. We are to present... Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, this commitment is placed before us with this sacrificial language uh, that Paul's talking about, we needed to be a living sacrifice. And this language would have made many people in that day think about uh, the Old Testament and the sacrificial system that was set up. This would have made them think of the animals, the best of the flock, Coming to be sacrificed, Uh, it would have made them think about the blood. It would have made them think about the death. It would have made them think about the burning of these animals, about bringing the sacrifice for a multitude of reasons and placing uh, your hands on that animal and transferring the sin or transferring the guilt to this animal. And then this animal being sacrificed, a total commitment, a total sacrifice. And this Old Testament sacrifice shows us that picture of total and complete sacrifice. But this sacrifice that Paul is talking about is different. Says we are to be a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice. So let's look at living. In the deepest theological sense, it's talking about a new life. Uh, In chapter 6, Romans 6 verse 4, it says, We are buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. That's why when we baptize people, we say you're buried with Christ in his death and you're raised to walk in a newness of life. There's no death there. He's not asking for a dead sacrifice. He's asking for a living sacrifice. But it was to be different. Uh, Next, to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart. We're to be different. And it's not by our work. It's by the work of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Acceptable. We are to be an acceptable sacrifice. Not because we deserve to be accepted. But because this is what God expects from us. To be an acceptable, acceptable sacrifice. You know, this is a bold, very bold call to commitment. What I enjoy most about it is its inclusivity to all people. And how it applies equally to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a professor at the college. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager in school. It doesn't matter if you work in the oil field or if you're a pastor at a church. It applies to you. It's for the entire church. And some may have this thinking that, you know pastors have to be 100% committed and maybe those who are deacons can be like 75% committed and I'm the average going church member so I can be like 50% committed and that man that's pretty good. It's better than a lot of people, right? Uh, and it's different for different people in different stages of life. Maybe even thinking that... Uh, I can be less committed now and more committed later. Some people have that weird thinking, I'm too busy right now. Now, when my kids get through with all this stuff, maybe after that I can be fully committed. I can be, I'm, I can be all in. Uh, a lot of people may think, well, you know what? I was 100% committed for 20 years, and I did all these things, and I just want to take a break for a little while. I just want to, be a little, I just want to take a little time for myself. I can relax. All believers are called to be totally committed. That's what Paul's laying out before us. Until God takes you home, you are to be fully committed, 100% in. R.C. Sproul says it like this, Your life, it's a throwaway life. It's not only for pastors, but for every Christian. Our lives are to be given over, body and soul, to the service of God. To be a Christian is to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. I like how Spurgeon also says it. He says every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. It's one or the other. What are you? You're either working for the Lord or you're an imposter. Halfway commitment would be unthinkable. If I were to say to my wife, you know, I I love you, I want to marry you, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but I'm only coming home on Wednesdays and Sundays. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And it wouldn't work here. We have to understand. And the more we understand of the knowledge of what... God has done, and the mercies that have been extended to us, we should be more committed at 35 than we are at 25. We should be more committed at 55 than we were at 35. The longer we know, the longer we walk with God, the more committed, our life should be more committed, not less. So total commitment, that's the foundation of our commitment, that's the character of our commitment. Number three, the demands of our commitment. Here are the demands. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Two things that we are to do. One's kind of negative and one's positive. Uh, so let's get the negative out of the way. Do not be conformed to this world. This word world here can also be translated as age, um, I have included several passages in your notes that you can look up later. It talks about this passing age, one that is very dominated by Satan. Um, Paul could say it like this. Do not be conformed to the schemes of this passing evil age. Uh, This is hard. To be able to discern what this looks like, to be conformed to this world. This is a very hard thing to comprehend. It's a very hard thing to do day in and day out. Think, yes, you have to be very careful what you watch. Think, yes, you have to be very careful what you read. Uh, I heard someone say one time, we are to be in the world but not of the world. And you can take that wrong, but I get the meaning behind of it. We are to be in this world. We are to be the hands and feet of Jesus while we're in this world. And if you look um, at John 15 and John 17, it says if we're in the world, and the more and more we're like Jesus, it says the world's going to hate us. We're not to look like the world. And if you look at yourself in the mirror, and you don't look much different than everyone else in the world, and you don't act much different than everyone else in the world, and you speak like them, you talk like them, if it's a duck, it's usually a duck, right? If it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck, it's a duck. And if you look like the world and you act like the world, you're probably in the world. We're to be different. We're to be set apart. We aren't supposed to look and talk like the world. Uh, we are to be a light in the world and point people to Jesus. Now let's get to the positive part because I could do an 18 week series on what it looks like to not be conformed to the world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, the language is very graphic. Uh, The last time I used this word transformed, it was when we talked about Jesus and the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus was uh, transformed into his eternal state and the disciples saw Jesus in uh, his godly state and it messed with them, right? And that was a metamorphosis type transform uh, that you had in that word. But this word used here is the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when he uses the word and he says this. It's up on the screen. And we all with the unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. That's key. Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So how does this happen? Being transformed. The text says we are to be transformed being transformed, then this must be done by someone or something else, which of course is the Holy Spirit. We are to listen to the Holy Spirit. We are to be guided by the Holy Spirit who brings about a renewing of our mind. Okay, you're like, okay, well, how do I walk with the Holy Spirit? Reading God's Word, by praying, by coming to church and listening to other like-minded people talk about the things that God's doing in their life. That's how you do that. But we must understand that this is a process. It doesn't happen instantly and it's done. We are continuing to be changed. We are being transformed. It's a gradual transformation. We are to allow ourselves to be continually changed. And like it says in Romans 8.29, it tells us that we are to be conformed to the image of the Son. We are to become more and more like Jesus every single day. And a lot of people have this myth of, okay, man, there was one time at VBS, I walked down an aisle, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I checked the box, I maybe even got dunked in the hot tub, I'm good. I'm good. Just enough Jesus, get into heaven, I got my get out of hell free card, I'm good. The text here does not allow for that to happen, does it? We are not to remain as we are. We are to say no to the world. We are to, to say yes to becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. And again, I said this earlier, these are not suggestions. These are commands and they are to be obeyed. Lastly, let's look at the last part of the commitment, the result of commitment. It says this, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Committed life has, to, has the power to perceive what God's will is. Alexander McLaren says it like this, To know beyond doubt what I ought to do, and knowing to do it, seems to be to me to be heaven on earth. And the man that has it needs but little more. To know beyond a shadow of a doubt what God's will is, and to be able to do it, seems to me to be heaven on earth. The one who is committed... To, to God, sees God with confidence, sees God's will with confidence. And while the world is very uncommitted and while the world is kind of tossed to and fro by every wind and every doctrine, the one who is committed to God knows God's will. And he finds God's will to be good and acceptable and perfect. And it's truly like peace in the middle of the storm. So, As I wrap up this morning, a few takeaways. Um, I I follow a a pastor by the name of Chuck Lawless. And this past Monday, Chuck Lawless sent out an email on, it 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 says this 10 things I can do today because God's mercies are new this morning. And I thought some of these were really good to share. And so I just want to share some of those with you because of, in view of God's mercy. Okay? Number one, our commitment is entirely based on God's mercy. You know, I started this morning with a story from Saving Private Ryan and Captain Miller telling Saving telling Private Ryan earn this the truth is there is nothing that you can do to earn anything from God you can't he alone has shown his mercy to us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us it's a free gift he has done that for us and this should lead us to even greater commitment. You know, in the same way that this guy was committed to uh, because of the sacrifice of the... Our commitment should be even greater because it's nothing that we deserve. It's nothing that we can gain on our own. It's a free gift of God and what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Number two, I can come back to God even if I've wandered away. You know, what God has done for you and, and what Paul has laid out before us in the first 11 chapters, it, this mercy, it's forever. Okay, it's not something that's here one minute, and if you miss too many Sundays in a row, God will take it away. It's not something that if you sin too much, God will take it away. That's not how God operates. If he's extended his mercy to you, and he, you are truly a follower of Jesus, then no matter what you've done, no matter how far you think you've wandered away from him, God still wants to be in that fellowship with you, and you can come back with him. But I'm encouraging you today to walk with him daily. Number three, I can let go of the guilt and shame of yesterday's sin. John 1.9 says, if we confess with our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have confessed it, and He is faithful and just to forgive us from it. It's not just His promise, it's an overflow of His character and who He is. Number four, I can begin restoring broken relationships in my life. In the same way that God has forgiven you, you are to forgive others. I've told people, I, I've in this life, I have experienced that life is too short to just walk around being angry. It's too short. You can't just walk around being angry at people. Let it go. God has forgiven you. You should extend that same forgiveness to other people. That's what we are called to do. So we are to be transformed into the image of His Son. And just as Jesus Christ has forgiven us, we are to be Christians in this world. And to be a Christian means you are little Christ's in the world, and that's what we are called to do. Number five, I can say no to temptation. Now, I know this is one of those very, you know, prosperity gospel type cliche statements where you can have victory over sin, but it's true. You can't have victory over sin. If you have the knowledge of the Son, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the ability to say no when temptation comes. Sometimes we don't, but we have that ability and we should. So, Say no to temptation. Live in that victory uh, that He gives to us. Number six, I can re-engage or begin new spiritual disciplines. One of the things that we could take away from this morning that would be good for us is to begin spiritual disciplines to help us to renew our minds, spending time with God in prayer, spending time in God's Word, spending time with God's people, all to change who we are from the inside out. If we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to change us, to 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 change us, to transform us by the renewing of our mind, then we will be able to see what God's will is for our life. Then we will be able to do that. Number seven, I can get involved in the local church again. It doesn't matter if you've fallen out of practice. It doesn't matter if you haven't been to church in two years. It doesn't matter if someone in the church has hurt your feelings and you just feel like you cannot do that thing. You can't go to church. It's just, out of the question. Let me just say this. Churches are full with sinners, filled with sinners, and someone's probably going to hurt your feelings at some point. And if you ever find the perfect ch- church, please do not join it because you're going to mess it up. It's true. Churches are full with sinners, and no church is perfect. And I pray and hope that you would be called to be a part of God's people. And it doesn't matter if it's here or if it doesn't matter if it's somewhere else. Be involved with God's people in His church. It's a command. That's what God commands us to do. Lastly, I can follow Jesus. God has given you today. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. I had some very close friends in this past week, uh, like 10 days ago, I believe, that lost a loved one. Freak ac- Freak accident. No one's fault. Just one of those weird deals where an accident happened and uh, a husband is gone. Very close friends of mine. Can't explain it, but I'm here to tell you, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day for salvation. Today is the day to follow Jesus. And with what you have heard from God's mercies, if you truly want to live a life, as John 10 says, a life to the fullest and a life abundantly it's only through what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And we are to called to follow after him. So let's pray this morning as we wrap up. God, we thank you so much for loving us, uh, for the mercies that you've extended to us through your son Jesus. And Father, I pray that we would live our lives accordingly. That we would see what you have done for us and that we would be committed to following after you that we would be committed to spending time with You and allowing our minds to be renewed uh, by fellowship with Your people, by the renewing of Your Word, by the renewing of of listening to the Holy Spirit. God, You have called us to these things. And I pray that we would take that commitment seriously. And Father, as we go through this world, I pray that You would help us to uh, be serious about making disciples. If we are a follower, we are to make other followers. Father, I just pray that... uh, you would speak to us uh, today. You would uh, change our hearts in such a way that we would want to live for you every single day to bring you honor, to bring you glory for what you have accomplished through your son on the cross. So again, Lord, I pray that you would uh, pierce our hearts, help us to live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me just say, if you're a Christian today, And you've made a commitment to follow after Jesus. Maybe today is a a reminder of what God has done. It's a great reminder of the mercies that God has extended to us. We deserve death. We deserve separation from God. And in the fullness of time, the perfect Son of God came to live the perfect life that we couldn't. To die the death that we deserved in order that uh, He could offer forgiveness to us, sinners. We We need to be reminded of these mercies every single day. And it should impact the way we live. It must impact the way we live. In view of God's mercies, it should impact the way we live our life. Every breath that we have, I hope and pray that we live it for the glory of God. We owe Him everything. Maybe you're here today and uh, you have committed to following Jesus, but you would say right now that you're far away. I'm kind of running from Him. I don't feel very close to Him. Maybe it's a sin that you're wrapped up in. And I just plead with you this morning to lay those things down at the foot of the cross. Give them to Jesus who can carry them, who can take them away. Uh, and so, I plead with you. Lay them down at His feet. Start spending time with in His Word and with His people. Uh, and so... Maybe you're here today and you've never committed to following Jesus. You're like, I don't even know this guy, what you're talking about was Jesus. You know, back to your notes. I told you I wouldn't forget. And I know some of you thought I forgot, but I didn't. The last blank is repent and believe. We are called to repent and believe. Today is the day for salvation. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And if that's something that you would like to talk to someone about this morning, we'll have some pastors available after we're done this morning. But for right now, we're all going to stand, and we're going to worship. Uh, And so you respond to God however you see fit this morning. Jake, you lead us.